Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn those to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be there this morning, finishing up our series, Far Better, where we have been talking about how in the early parts of Jesus's ministry, he reveals to us himself. And so what we have done over the last six weeks or so is we have looked at what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, um, which we are reading in the book of Matthew Um, The accounts there, chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus really lays out how he envisions and desires his kingdom of God to be. And so we have been looking at the words of Jesus and wondering and considering how those words can shape our lives, our actions, our acts of service, and really consider the fullness of what he wants to offer us as his people. So we've been talking about different things like what it means to have the mind of Christ. Um, We've talked about things like what it would mean to be a co-laborer with Jesus Christ. We've talked about the mission of God, what that looks like. We've talked about what it would mean to have the interests of seeing heaven on earth as it is in heaven and seeing that come down in all of its glory. And um, this morning we're going to in a way, tie a bow on this series and really dig into what we consider and call the kingdom of God and and talk about what that looks like. So um, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. If you have have been around church for a while, you have probably heard this passage. Um, As an Olivet graduate myself, this passage is read during the uh, graduation ceremony to a bunch of scared uh, college grads, and Jesus says, do not worry. (laughs) Um, Anyways, would you stand with me as we read this together? Starting at verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts to what you would have to say to us. Help us be learners, help us be hearers of the word that has gone out, 
Lord, we ask that it would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I did mention that this passage is read during the graduation ceremony at Olivet and possibly other universities as well. And it's been interesting that kind of my experience with this passage and, and maybe your experience as well, I feel like this might be what I'm about to give a little commentary on, what our normal response to the do not worry passage really is. Jesus uses imagery like birds and, and flowers and he talks about the unbound boldness and faith of the birds who seamlessly fly carelessly through the world, not really worrying about what they are eating or stowing things away in barns. Um, and he talks about the delicate nature of flowers that are beautiful, yes, but during harvest time and during the changing of seasons end up withering away and dying and, and are thrown into fires. Uh, a lot of times we see fields that are burned to prepare for the coming spring. And Jesus uses these real-life examples, these, these often seen as taken-for-granted examples of wild birds and flowers that grow and die and grow and die, and, and this is kind of the response that I take inside is that I often feel guilty. And maybe you do too. Where Jesus actually uses birds and reminds us that we are more capable than they are. We, we have more potential than they do. We have more abilities and things like that. And yet even people that are, are, are more advanced worry so much more than they do. So oftentimes I feel guilty. Jesus doesn't want us to feel guilty, but oftentimes I, I feel like we do. He, he uses the phrase that, that every Christian loves to hear, you of little faith, why do you worry? And so we kind of sit there and we say, Oh, Jesus is so right, <laughs> that Jesus. He's so right, I'm just not going to worry anymore. We read this and we say, I'm just not going to worry. We receive this passage as though do not worry is the command that is given. But what we're going to look at in just a minute is that it's not actually the command that Jesus is giving us. If that was the command that Jesus was giving us, then I would need to walk into Barnes & Noble, and I would need to go to the self-help section, and I would just need to find one of probably a dozen or so books of how not to worry as a parent, how not to worry as a small business owner, um, how not to worry as, you know, you fill in the blank, college student, whatever. If, if that was the command to just not worry, then what my life would be consumed with was just little tricks and little tools and little strategies that I can use to just not worry about what? Clothes, food, shelter, the list goes on and on. And I think subconsciously we, we get the command confused with, with the reward or the fruit of following the command because not having to worry sounds very good to me. Does it sound good to you this morning? To, to not have to worry sounds really, really good. But what Jesus is showing us is that that is not the command 
that we are to do. There is, there is a step one before we get to not worrying. And it's in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So before we go on anymore, I, I want to lay before you what Jesus is talking about as it comes to this context. Matthew 6 when he says God's kingdom and God's righteousness, this is what Jesus means by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Three things if you're a note taker. This is what Jesus is not talking about. The first is that he is not talking about something that is happening in the future. Something that is going to be laid before us in the future. Look look at verse 33 and 34. In the same breath, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and don't worry about tomorrow. And yet we think that the kingdom is going to come years from now, decades from now, when either we die or Jesus comes back. But if we're not supposed to worry about even tomorrow, if we're not supposed to be worrying about something that is 24 hours from now, how are we concerning ourselves with something that we think is going to happen centuries down the road? Am I making sense here? In the same breath, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, seek first the kingdom. So therefore, the kingdom must be present. The second is this. The kingdom is not something after death. In this context, the kingdom of God, as Jesus talks to it in Matthew chapter 6, is not something that's going to come after death. There are two things that we can look toward in Scripture. Um, The second is John the Baptist's message. Before Jesus began his ministry, there was a guy named John the Baptist. We've talked about him before. And he heralded in this new message. He said, you probably know it, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's this word near that I want you to focus on. He, he is not talking about near in terms of on the calendar. He is talking about something that is near when it comes to physical presence. An actual person, an actual movement embodied in an individual is near. So John the Baptist says that, and then when Jesus begins his ministry, his opening declaration to the world is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is saying, I am near. I am the kingdom of heaven. I am the kingdom of God. And so it is not something that we look to in the future. It is not something that is going to be revealed to us after death. And the third is this. It is not something to sit around waiting for. Um, For you note takers, Luke 17, verse 21. Jesus is talking to his disciples and some others are, are around the dinner table. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not something that you are going to be able to point at and say, look, there it is. Or when something takes place, you're able to say, here it is. Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is in your midst is the language that Jesus uses in Luke 17, 21. It is something that is present among you in this moment. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And so I would submit to you this. Where there is life, the kingdom of God is there. Is anyone alive this morning? I think so. People out there are alive. Barely. Where there is life, there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not 
Bear with me. In the graveyards, death has been defeated. The kingdom of God is where there is life. You guys with me? Let's keep going. Jesus is pushing us really to this, and this is what I would like to talk about this morning. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is pushing us towards understanding what kingdom priorities are. Kingdom priorities is the language that we're going to use this morning. Now, for a moment, I'd like to talk about who was hearing this message when it was first spoken. And, and the, the first century Galileans, when they were reading the words of Jesus, when they were hearing the words of Jesus, in large part, we've all heard the term rat race, you know, kind of like chasing something, hustling to get something else. So in this day, those in the labor force, in large part, an overwhelming amount of the labor force, the direct fruit from people's labor was clothing, food, and shelter. You were a carpenter and you helped build and maintain homes. You were a farmer and you grew food not only to sell for income, but for your family to actually eat. Or you were a laborer in a field. Or you were a tailor. You made clothes not only to sell for an income, but to clothe your own family. And when these words are spoken to those people, imagine if all of you are farmers, and I stand up here and say, don't worry about what you spend your whole life doing. You know your Monday through Friday, 40-hour-a-week job? Don't worry about it. That's what Jesus is saying here. The things that you commit your entire lives to, the the things that you give yourselves up for, where you bleed and where you sweat and where you toil and labor and spin, don't worry about that stuff. Well, Jesus, I need to worry about something. Because it just feels so natural, doesn't it? For something to be wrong... It feels good to have something wrong. If we're really honest with ourselves, it feels really good to have something wrong because we got something to talk about. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to change your focus. I don't want your priorities to be the priorities of the world. I want your priorities to be the priorities of the kingdom of God. So a question that I immediately ask is, What are kingdom priorities? I want to give you a real, real easy list of three things, three road marks, three scenarios that we can look toward where we see kingdom priorities. The first is this. Kingdom priorities take place in when we hear Jesus talk about the kingdom. In all of the gospel accounts, in many, many different parables, Jesus begins parables by using this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he starts talking. The kingdom of God is like, and then he starts talking. And remember, this is a kingdom that is near to us in our midst right now, present day, not something that's happening down the road. So what does Jesus say about the kingdom in those different parables? He talks of the kingdom in a couple of different ways, and there's many more than than what I will mention. One of the ways is a king who has laborers and servants who have a lot of debt. (laughs) 
they, they owe the king a lot of money. And Jesus says, you know what the kingdom of heaven is like? When that king just forgives those debts and wipes them clean. Uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a widow, perhaps a single mother, who when the alabaster offering rolls around in the temple, she gives everything she has. The widow who gives everything she had. That's what, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The, the, kingdom, is, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, someone like you or I who was walking in a field one day and we, we looked down and we tripped over this, this precious jewel. And, and we, we knelt down and we found the jewel. We've never seen it before. And so this is what we do next. We bury the jewel. We go home. We sell everything we have. And we don't only buy the one foot by one foot plot of land where that jewel is. No, we buy the acres that surround it because I want more than anything else that jewel. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And this is what Jesus says. One more. The the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who has a lot of laborers Some laborers work a 16-hour day. Some laborers work a 10-hour day. Some laborers work an 8-hour day. Some laborers work a 2-hour day. And the farmer pays them all equally. I just gave you five sermons (laughs) in about a minute. That is what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus reveals to us kingdom priorities in what he says about the kingdom. The second is this, in what Jesus does, what he actually spends his time doing. He does many things, one of which is he heals people. Jesus reveals to us that one of the priorities of the kingdom of God is for people to be healed around Joliet first. What do we call it? Restored. One of the priorities of the kingdom is for people to be restored physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. This is what Jesus spends his time doing. We read about it all the time. The blind receive sight. The deaf begin to hear. He not only welcomes the foreigner, but he seeks out after the foreigner. He seeks out after the person who doesn't belong in the crowd. The one who grazes his cloak when he's walking through a sea of people. A woman is bleeding and she is an outcast. She's bled for years. Grazes his cloak and he says, who touched me? Not because he was angry. Because he wanted to meet the person who had the faith. That if you could just touch his cloak, that you would be healed. He seeks out after the people who do not belong. What he says, what he does, the third is who he spends his time with. Now, if if we were to just look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I want to give you the array of who Jesus spends his time with. And this is, these are the kingdom priorities. This is what is shaping the kingdom and what is valued. Jesus spends his time with the richest of the rich, and the poorest of the poor. Jesus spends his time with the prostitute and with the virgin. 
Jesus spends his time with the high and mighty and the lowly and downtrodden. Jesus spends his time with the adulterer and with the faithful and everyone in between. There is evidence in this good book of Jesus spending time with all different kinds of people and by what he says about the kingdom, what he does in his life and who he spends time with, those three things need to shape what we were to consider the kingdom priorities, the priorities of the world that are given to us now, not something that we wait for, right? I would submit to you this phrase to sum that all up. Kingdom priorities reshape two things. They reshape our acts of service and they reshape our understanding of who we are to serve. If we were to really dial in to kingdom priorities, they reshape who we are to serve and how we are to serve them. So Jesus gives us this command. Seek first the kingdom of God. I would submit to you that if we were to prioritize as the world does, then that actually causes worry. And this is where Jesus connects point A to point B. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, stop worrying, because what? That's impossible, right? All the self-help books in the world can't get us to not worry about tomorrow. Jesus says, I don't even want you to think about what worrying is. Jesus says, I just want you to focus on these kingdom priorities. Why? Because your father knows what you need. The people who don't know God don't know what they don't know. And what they don't know is that there's a God who knows what they need. And so they spend their time laboring and spinning and toiling and running around like chickens with their head cut off, trying to get themselves squared up and ready to go and presentable for the world so that they can sit back and rest comfortably. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to completely reshape what you prioritize. I want you to reshape how you think about people, how you serve people. I want you to rethink who you're even supposed to be rubbing shoulders with. I want you to rethink it all because if you do that, there will not even be a place in your brain where there is room for you to worry about what you're going to eat. Trust me. If, if God and his grace were to reveal to us Everything that broke his heart in this world, we would not be able to sleep at night. And if we really truly prioritized the kingdom of God, then that's when we stop worrying about what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. You tracking with me? It is a complete refocus, a complete reshaping of what we are to do. Now, the kingdom of God is about this, and this is where the kingdom priorities and the worldly priorities differ in large part. The world asks, what do I need to do or what can I do for me? Not you, me. That's what the world asks. The kingdom of God is concerned about one thing and one thing only, the flourishing of humanity. 
that men and women become restored into the image of God like they were originally created to be, fell by their own sin, their own decisions, and God wants them all to be restored into the image of God. That is what the kingdom prioritizes. The world asks, what can I do for myself? The kingdom, one living in it and serving it, asks, what can I do for you? I do not receive, we talked about this last week, I do not receive my reward unless your life is flourishing. If, if my neighbor is flourishing in their life, I win. If you, the person sitting across the pew from you, if they are flourishing, the people in your small group, if they are flourishing, you win. Yeah, they win too, but you win. Because you had a part in seeing their lives flourish. It's a habit change. It's a, it's a refocusing change. Jesus says, if you reshape and refocus yourselves around the kingdom priorities, then all of these other things will be added to you. You'll never have to worry about this stuff again. How you will provide for your family, how you're going to clothe yourself. If you are getting your hands dirty into the work of the kingdom of God, then you are not going to have to worry about what the world worries about. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that is, that's good news, what we call good news around here is that we don't have to worry about what the rest of the world worries about. Um, if you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn to the book of James. Um, it's, a, it's a short book found in the New Testament. Um, it comes before 1 Peter. And I'm going to read it here, just a few verses. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13, I'll give you a minute to turn there, talks about how we boast about the things that we have to do. I talked about that a little bit earlier. We like having things go wrong in our lives so we have something to talk about. This is what James says. These are, I promise you, these are his words. Pastor Seth didn't write this, okay? This is what a, this is what a fella named Jimmy has to say. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into this or that city, spend a year there, Carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? James asks this question. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, this is what you ought to say. If it is the Lord's will, we will live. And we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, if they know the kingdom priorities they ought to fulfill and don't do them, it is sin for them. Is what James has to say this morning. Thanks a lot, James. A life that can grow in the embodiment of kingdom priorities will be far better than what the world could ever, ever give. And I'm talking about the here and now. I'm talking about when you walk out the doors today. I'm talking about tomorrow. 
If we are to grow in an existence where our priorities are reshaped not around the priorities of the world, but around the priorities of the kingdom of God, then our existence will be far better than what this world could ever give us. Now, I would be a bad preacher if I did not proclaim with boldness and full confidence that there is an eternity to be had in the presence of God for all of those who believe in him and seek his face. 100%. Revelation chapter 21 talks about that there will come an eternity where there will be no pain, no sorrow, no mourning, no hurting. And, and he, I think he means none. <laughs> for in all of eternity, that day will come. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where but there is an eternity that is promised to us that has no hurt, no death, no pain, no mourning. I'd be a bad preacher if I didn't say that. And I would be an equally bad preacher if I didn't tell you that there is something that you can have today that is unlike anything that you've ever had before. That there is a hope, that there is a goodness, that there is a salvation that is here for you And all you need to do is recommit yourself, not to the purposes of yourself, not to the purposes of man, not to the purposes of this world, but to the purposes of God. If you could just believe in him, just say, Lord, I'm switching paths. Lord, I'm switching directions. Lord, I'm turning my face towards you. I don't need to worry about what's going on over here. I don't want to worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to do tomorrow. I just want to worry about what your mission is for this world. That is your salvation. Last week we said the salvation of God and the mission of God are not to be separated. They are one in the same. If you have been saved, then you have been sent out into a mission to help love this world. So what I want you to do, the mindset that I would love for you to have is that this kingdom of God that is offered to us right now is actually a gift. We all like gifts, right? I would pray and my hope for you, my hope for myself, my hope for Joliet first is that we would see the indwelling kingdom of God as a gift. And in order to explain that further, I want to show you this beautiful piece of art that I received from a student that I was able to substitute teach for. Um, many of you know, and if you, if you know me, you know that I substitute teach throughout the week, help pay my phone bill. Um, and so I, I find myself uh, in first grade, second grade, third grade classrooms, a, a lot of times with special needs kids. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. We've talked about here, um, we spent a whole series in August talking about how that children are the kingdom of God. <laughs> and, so, and so I get to work alongside kids. I absolutely love it. And uh, first graders are funny. My mom's here this morning. She's been a first grade teacher for years. And, uh, and they're funny. And, and as a sub, they want to give you things. Uh, they, I, I know. Uh, you, you, should see our, you should see our refrigerator. It's covered in stuff. Um, because I, I walk in, first of all, they've never seen a male teacher before. Their whole world is thrown upside down. Um, and uh, and they, they see this guy, and, and uh, they, they want to give you a gift. And so there's this boy named Tyler who makes his own Pokemon cards. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he gives them to Mr. Major. Uh, he, he, he gives me these Pokemon cards that he makes, right? 
And, and we, we had some free time. There's a lot of free time when Mr. Major subs. And, uh, and so they, they, were able to, they were able to color, and uh, we were hanging out before going to lunch, and um, Tyler gave me a Pokemon card, right? And then, and then Max runs up, and, and he gives me a picture. And then everyone else in the class who's working on their art pieces, whether they are done or not, they, they want to be a part of the, the game, right? If you have kids, you know, they want to be where the action is. And so I get bum-rushed by all of these screaming six-year-olds giving me their works of art. And Adeline walks up to me. Adeline Zada. This is what she says. She says, it's not done yet, but I still want you to have it. Brothers and sisters, this is what God is saying to us this morning. My kingdom is not done yet, but I still want you to have it. I haven't come back yet to heal the world, but I still want there to be healing. I haven't come back to restore all of humanity and to live and to dwell and to reign with you, but I still want you to connect with me. I still want you to connect with each other. I still want you to serve each other like I served you. It's not done yet, but I still want you to have it. Kingdom priorities reshape who we are to serve and how we are to serve them. And those things glorify God and God alone. Don't worry about you. Don't worry about anyone else. But worry about what God worries about. A beautiful thing about being a part of a community of faith and a community of hope is that there is a table that is set before us. Last week we talked about that we are what we eat. (laughs) When we take of the bread, um, someone will say to you, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. You'll dip that in the juice and, and someone who's holding it will say, this is the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for you. Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of him. Is what he does. And the beautiful thing about this meal, the beautiful thing about this table, as we remember the holiness of God that is in us and flows through us, is that this is a table that every single human being can pull up a seat to. So everyone in this room, and everyone who will ever be in this room, is invited to this meal this morning. So if you are serving communion this morning, I would ask that you would come forward and prepare to serve our people. Brothers and sisters, there is a kingdom that is ours for the taking. We just need to buy into it. We we can clap. We can still clap in church. It's okay. There is a table that God is inviting you this morning. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and when you feel ready, come and receive his meal for us. Would you pray with me?
Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves and cares about us. Lord, when you came down to earth as a baby and when you grew up to be a man and when you served your people, your father's people, you enacted what we call the kingdom of heaven. Earlier in worship, we prayed that your will would be done, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, and that is our one and only prayer this morning. By what you said about the kingdom, by what you did when you were on this earth, and by who you were with, Lord, let your example shape our lives. And as we come to your table this morning to eat and partake in your salvation, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would go with us, speak to us, and nudge us in directions that we never thought we would go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and join me as we close in prayer together? I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth let it be ratified in heaven. <laughs>